You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. You should probably know that by now if you are in this episode, if you're, I guess, live on this episode because we are in the middle of a series. And, well, we're getting close to the end. I shouldn't say in the middle. We're at the tail end. We're yeah, this this episode and one more, right? Yeah, That's so this said. is like the final act in the next episode. Penultimate. Like the epilogue. Yeah. I've always wanted to say penultimate. Penultimate. This is the next to the last. This is the penultimate episode. Sounds really cool. Uh, <laughs> but that's exactly what it is. We are in Titus chapter two, and you might notice that we have totally skipped Titus chapter one, but we didn't really. Uh, in an episode recently um, on one of these letters to Timothy, First uh, Timothy First three, Timothy three, yeah. On 1 Timothy 3, we covered Titus 1 because it is about qualifications for elders. So we just did that one with 1 Timothy 3 uh, to cover all that ground in one whack. So today, we're in our first letter to Titus. Titus is, I guess, a similar situation to that of Timothy in as much that Titus is a young man who works with Paul, and Paul has left Titus, uh, sort of in charge in his stead, a lot like we find with Timothy, right? Right, on the island of Crete. Yeah, so in verse 5 of Titus chapter 1, see we're not totally skipping Titus 1, this is why I left you in Crete, so this is Paul talking to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there is the job of Titus. He's putting everything in order, and he's going around Crete to every town, appointing elders in all those local congregations. Not an easy assignment. Um, no, especially might point out Crete. verse twelve. Yeah, where Paul quotes, it's not it's not something that just he alone says. He's quoting a common slogan about Cretans, and he calls them liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And you know that carries over. I've heard people they don't I don't hear this much, but I've heard the term Cretan used of yeah. somebody negatively. It comes from this reputation. So this little island in the Mediterranean is a very difficult mission field and it says a lot about Titus that Paul thought he could handle the assignment. So maybe go these down are there. like modern day Alabama football fans. Uh no comment, <laughs> just uh no comment. Just let you own that statement. That should be some fuel for conversation. That's A. Kingsley at ARCOC.com. Okay, moving on. So we are in Chapter 2, uh, where we're basically going to find... And Drew, I'm not 100% sure uh, how you have outlined it. Drew's got our outline for today. But it's basically like a list of teachings for for different people, right? Or at least Right. I mean, it's kind of like Chapter 1. He... Titus is a lot like just an instruction manual for preachers. Uh, in the letters to Timothy, there was a lot about the finesse of a preacher. That's not the good word. That's not the right word. But there was a lot about how to do preaching. Yeah. And this is more like what you should preach. And he starts yeah. with the eldership, and that takes a lot of time as he goes through the qualifications that Titus needs to look for. But then he gets a lot more succinct in chapter 2 so that there's... Uh, he goes through the demographics of the congregations that he'll find in Crete and uh, addresses each one. 
starting out in verse 1 saying that, you know, you should teach what accords with sound doctrine, which means healthy teaching. And then he goes through this uh, list of different demographics that Titus can expect to find in his congregation. And uh, we can find these or forms of these in our own congregations, which makes this a very applicable chapter, very relevant chapter to study. Um, He starts with older men, saying older men, verse 2, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. So if you wanted to outline that verse, basically he first gives characteristics that are fitting for seniors and then characteristics that are fitting for Christians. And by that I mean the characteristics that are fitting fitting for um, elderly members in particular are that they be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. And I feel like those terms are pretty self-explanatory. I I think it's funny that almost like the older somebody gets, the less we require that of them. Maybe that's good for apply, but it's almost like the older someone gets, you're like, eh, they can say what they want. They're old. Well, yeah, we make jokes about, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but that's the opposite and it's of what intri- Titus is asking for, or what Paul's asking. Yeah, and, and, and there's also this sense that we'll get to an age where we don't have to work anymore at being a Christian or being a, a good person. And that's mm-hmm. simply not true. I mean, I love how attention is given to the older demographic here to say, look, your, your work is not done. You're not, you haven't reached a perfection. And um, to me, that's a positive note. The thought that I can continue to grow means yeah. that God still has a lot for me in my future. Yeah, it's funny. So, One of those is the same thing. I don't want to get ahead of your outline, but it's the same thing he's going to mention for the younger men, too. He asked the younger men to be self-controlled, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Older men, younger men. There is a lot of repetition between the different demographics, which is a lesson in itself that we're not all that different. And uh, even though he's splitting them up, they're getting kind of the same assignments or told to tell each other how to do certain assignments. Yeah. Uh, Now, the the next three uh, characteristics here in verse 2 like I said, were characteristics fitting for Christians because a non-Christian can't do these things, whereas a non-Christian older person could be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. For the older Christians, they are to be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. Those are particularly Christian attributes that need to be seen in the lives of older men. That's verse 2. Now, he moves from there to the older women, and this is verses 3 and following. And uh, what you have here in uh, Greek grammar is called a chiasm. Do you know what a chiasm is? You know, the letter key kind of looks like an X, and it's a description for uh, wording where the the lines kind of cross each other, intersect each other. Mm -hmm. The best way that I could put it is, the first and the last items on the list for older women are positive, and the two in the middle are negative. And so it's kind of like you have a positive, a negative, a negative, and a positive. It's just kind of yeah. the se- the second half is in reverse order. Yeah. And it, you may have to look at it in your Bible to really get what I'm talking about, but that's called a chiasm, which is kind of interesting. It kind of shows how much thought Paul put into the way that he listed this. Um, and, you know, maybe it was written in this way to help people remember these things, 
because it's kind of a poetical device, and sometimes yeah. poetry is words or teaching is given in poetry to help people remember it. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, here's what it is. Uh, number one, he calls for reverence. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. That's not just in worship, but in their in their behavior in life, showing submission where women are called upon to show submission. Number two, he calls for restraint. Now, this is the first negative. Not slanderers, so restrain your tongue. Number three, he calls for sobriety. Uh, another negative, not slaves to much wine. And then, as I said, he ends on a positive. They are to teach what is good. So reverence, restraint, sobriety, and instruction. Now, I could stop right here and say, okay, we're going to a third category, which we kind of are, the category of younger women, but it's tied into the older women yeah. because he lands the last um, request of older women on instruction. And so he's doing two things. He's given Timothy a list of things that the younger women are to be taught but I think it's very important to point out that he's saying that you ought to teach the older women to teach the younger women these yeah. things. And that's something that we miss many, many times, that a lot of this instruction should be coming not directly from the preacher or elders or male teachers, but from the older women. I'm not saying it's wrong for a preacher to preach these things to younger women in the assembly or whatever, but I'm saying that should be done in coordination with the influence and teaching and example of the older women, which has more of an impact because they know what the younger women are going through. Right. Whereas uh, the the men don't necessarily know what it feels like to do, to be expected to do these things. Mm -hmm. So, okay, what are they? What is it that they are to teach? What is good? Um, and I'm just going to summarize the. Uh, I think it's six. Four, five, six, seven things here that you'll find in verses four and following. Uh, they're to love their husbands. They're to be taught to love their children. They're taught to be self-controlled. So there's that one that we saw with the older men. Repeat it again. Be pure. Work at home. Be kind. Be submissive. We'll come back to work at home in the next segment. So that's what the younger women are to be taught by the older women to do. And you can look at it as if we have covered three demographics already, or you could say, okay, the younger women are in under the older women mm -hmm. as a list of things the older women are to instruct the younger women to do. Yeah. Confused yet? I think I'm hanging in there for now. Okay. Let's go to verses 6 through 8. Here's the, depending on how you're counting it, the third demographic, younger men, verses 6 through 8. Um Look at the relationship between verse 6, which says, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then verse uh, 7 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. There's a relationship between those. Really, it looks like the sole instruction that Paul gives to the younger men is in verse 6 to be self-controlled. There it is again, mm -hmm. self-controlled. And then verses 7 and 8 are instructions to Timothy and how he ought to behave. But one of those things is that he ought to be a model. So the things that he models apply to younger men as well. And yeah, because he is a young man. Right? Yeah, he's a young man. So it's kind of interesting. You can say, well, the younger men are told to do only one thing, and then Titus gets the rest of it. 
But if Titus is to be an example of younger men, then the things that Titus is told to do apply to all younger men. That makes sense. Yeah, sure does. Thank you. Um, I'm still with you for now. So the instructions to the older men, well, so let's start with the, the way that Titus is to deliver these things. In that we saw him, you know, Paul told him, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model. So the, it's important for Titus and all preachers and teachers to practice what they preach. Be an example mm-hmm. in, in what you teach. But then he also says being an example is not enough, but you need to have, verse 8, or verse 7, teaching, and verse 8, sound speech. So teaching has to go along with the example. The example may show the outward behavior, but these young men have to know the thoughts. Their thinking has to be shaped, and that can only be done through teaching. Uh, behavior can often be misunderstood. Right. The motives have to be planted into the heart by teaching. So Titus has said, Titus is told that in your delivery be an example and be a teacher, both of those things together. So that's how this information is to be delivered to the young men. Now here are the qualities that he promotes. We already mentioned self-control, verse 6. And then what is Timothy to model? He is to model two things here. He's to model good works, which is a major theme of the book of Titus. I mean, we have the good works here in verse 7. And then in verse 14, he says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Mm -hmm. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, uh, those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Chapter 3, verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Yeah, This is a little letter to have that many commands wow. to do good works. Major yeah. theme in this book. Man, I think I messed up on my... Uh, okay, so for our pew packers, you know yeah. how we're going through the New Testament? Right. Titus, I had the one thing you need to remember Titus is about is healthy teaching. Well, that's not bad. I mean, because one of chapter two, sound doctrine. Oh, well, we've already. Thinking, I should have made it good works. Well, but but sound sound teaching, sound doctrine has to do with reminds you of Titus and preaching and yeah. So so we don't have to change our memory card for. Nah, our don't be so hard on yourself. Okay, good. We yeah. won't change the memory card. Give yourself a break from time. Sorry, to time. I just derailed your. <laughs> no, it's okay. I need to catch my breath. All right, so we're uh, zealous for good works. Right, um, that's the second quality for young men, the yeah. first being self-control, the second being good works. The third is teaching. I, now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Andrew. I see him telling Timothy to tell other young men to teach. Yeah. I, he says, be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show them integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now, maybe he's just telling him, you know, those things, integrity, dignity, and sound speech. But I think what he's saying is model the kind of teaching that is characterized by integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Yeah. You understand? I I don't know. 
it reminds me of something that we read, and I was, I was looking for it. I think it's here in Second Timothy two. What you have heard, and this is verse two. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, so it's kind of the same thing. He's already told Timothy this. To make sure others can A teach. preacher has to spend some time mentoring new preachers. Otherwise, yeah. the truth is lost on the next generation. Um, so even if he's not, I mean, he's going to inspire that kind of thing in others. And this yeah. kind of summarizes a Christian lifestyle because you've got the behavior, practice self-control. You've got how you relate to your neighbors, do good works. Yeah. How are you in speech? You teach with integrity, dignity, and uh, sound speech. And in such a way, I really love this verse 8. And this is one yeah. of those verses that has... That's the effects of it, right? Yeah, something that i found. You know, there are these few verses that everybody has that anytime you're talking about Scripture or teaching on Scripture, they kind of work their way into... Mm-hmm. what you're teaching on mm-hmm. and so you're amazed at how it applies to like everything that you've ever thought of yeah this is one of those for me um it's really striking to me that not only does he say you know show integrity and dignity so hold fast to the word and make sure you stick to it but he also says teach it in such a way that your opponent won't have anything negative to say about you when you're done you know, it reminds mm-hmm. me, we did a podcast a long time ago on Daniel. Or it wasn't a long time ago. That was pretty recently. And it was and, right before we started yeah, this series. Yeah. yeah. And so it seems like a long time ago. Goodness. It was before the summer. Uh, so um, the only bad thing that they could find negative to say about Daniel was basically that he served God. You know, they didn't right. have any yeah. legitimate claims against Daniel. They just had to say... Look, if we're going to find something wrong with Daniel, the only thing we're going to find is going to be in relation to the law of his God. Mm-hmm. So this kind of reminds me of that uh, to where the only thing... So even in your teaching, the only thing negative that people can say about you is basically they are, they are saying something negative about Scripture, not so much about you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's maybe that's more for apply, but that just has always really struck me. Well, that attitude of integrity, dignity, and sound or healthy speech, we, men in particular, but all Christians, need to revisit that over and over and over again because we're tempted to not use integrity. Yeah. In other words, to maybe to be a hypocrite in what we say, not yeah. use dignity to let anger get the best of us and lose our self-control, yeah. or uh, sound speech to say things that aren't healthy. Yeah, things that uh, are overly critical that hurt people that cut them down to yep. to promote yourself. So uh, we constantly need to return to that. Um, I think that's a special temptation with men. Now uh, we'll go to the last demographic, and I kind of cheated here a little bit because there's a lot in this last part. Okay, but beginning in verse nine, I'm going to call this the instruction to the slaves or to the servants. Okay. Even though the best passages are in, are my favorite passages, I should say, are in this last part. But what he says in his remarks directed towards the slaves leads into these points about the gospel. Yeah, and I'll show right. you how he does that. He starts out just with some instructions to the slaves. He says, slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. 
They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, in other words, don't steal, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So, he's not saying slavery is right. What he's saying is, use your misfortune to adorn the doctrine of God. In other words, I love that concept, wear the gospel on the outside. Which, remember, the gospel involves a man being treated unjustly. It involves the greatest injustice that's ever been um, ever been committed against anybody in the history of the world, the right. crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is look like Jesus on the cross through this injustice that you are suffering as a slave. Uh, he is not saying that slavery is right. He's We've handled this in many, many podcasts already. Um, now notice how that gets him into the gospel. Because he says, I want you to wear the gospel, the doctrine of God, our Savior. And then he gives a quick synopsis of the gospel. And he starts it off with that, for the grace of God. So he comes into it saying, because the grace of God has appeared. So, you know, when I kind of drew up a little mock outline to help me go along with yours, and, you know, I didn't even, I guess in my haste, I didn't even catch the, the dependence of verse 11 and following to the verses prior to it because mm-hmm. it's got that little word in there my bible teachers would be ashamed to fault her because they always taught us if, if something to look for the four, linking words yeah, yeah. You, you should they wouldn't be ashamed great, that's a great point uh, to bring out and i'm glad you did well thank you andrew uh <laughs> um ah forgot what i was gonna say sorry so compliment wearing wearing the gospel and oh, I was gonna say you said something a while ago how you liked verse eight mm-hmm. about you know make your speech so that no one can criticize you. This yeah. is the same thing again. He's saying this: if you wear this grace, if you wear this gospel, it's going to change people because the gospel transforms people. Yeah. And so he's he's telling the slaves, you're not gonna get the job done through protests, disobedience, rebellion arguments, stealing, um, it's not going to happen. Submission, the submission of the gospel, will move people. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Not leaving them where they are, but training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So he's saying grace changes us when we realize it when we believe it so the the most powerful thing in the world is grace and our our good works which again major theme here ought to be motivated by grace as is everyone's uh verse 13 waiting this is more changing that would occur it would cause us to be people waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ one of the interesting passages that just comes out and calls Christ God, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Again, you see the transformation. Mm -hmm. So it starts out with just some instructions to the slaves. But when he gets into the heart of why he wants slaves to be submissive, you see it's because he's trying to change the world through the gospel. And so he's wanting to change the masters from people who treat human beings as property 
to people who who love others. Yeah. And finally comes down to what really is the key verse to this chapter and maybe the whole book. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So he's given some really tough teachings here and some that we've got to go back and, and analyze in our next section. So let's take a little break, and when we come back, we'll, we'll dig into some of these more difficult passages. All right, so Paul, you know, has this reputation, so some say, of being backward when it comes to the roles of men and women. And uh, people have even, you know, been so bold as to make Paul's teaching on a lower level than the teaching of Christ. And uh, they make claims that, you know, Christ never gave roles for men and women um, while. Paul did, reflecting just his culture and not the Word of God. Mm-hmm. That ignores the fact that, you know, Christ and Paul got their teaching from the same source, the Spirit, uh, from the source of the, the ultimate source, the Father. And, you know, if we had time, we would go into some passages that, that teach that. You can look at uh, John fourteen ten, where Jesus says he got it from the Father through the Spirit, and then you can go to 1 Corinthians 2 where Paul says the same thing. So according to the Bible, where you can believe the Bible or not, the Bible says that Paul and Jesus got their information from the same place. And uh, Paul's teaching is meant to elaborate on the teachings of Christ. And so he does in this way. And he does speak very plainly about, about uh, different roles for men and women. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that might have surprised our listeners, maybe not, was in verse 5 where he says that the older women ought to teach the younger women to be working at home. Uh, what's the King James translation? Keepers at home? Yeah, I think Keepers so. at home, something like that. Busy so, at home is one of them. Yeah, I've seen that. And, and, you know, immediately people get the image of the poor housewife who never leaves the house. She's kind of like Cinderella. She's forced to do the manual labor at home and uh, have her dress and her makeup ready when the man comes home and get his slippers and robe for him as he reads the paper while she fixes dinner and yeah. you know that is that what we're looking at here when it says keepers at home well i know there are some who use this passage as a prohibition against a wife or mother holding a job outside the home you know, there are some out there who do think it's wrong, scripturally, to have a, a wife or a mother who has any kind of job that is apart from, you know, this like Victorian idea that, you know, a woman should be in the house and should not leave the house. Now, the woman, women are definitely called, men and women have different roles. Women are called to be um, the homemakers, right? You already mentioned maybe some of that um, language even here. Um, but there's, you know, I think we can, maybe we can sometimes misinterpret a passage to match up with maybe some cultural phenomenon that has occurred. In this case, I think it's with the Victorian ideas of men and women. 
back in Proverbs 31, uh, which is everybody knows, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman, it shows the wife and mother who is uh, really exemplary, right? This is almost the ideal. Yeah, um, she's an excellent woman who yeah. you can find a virtuous woman. Yeah, she does a lot more than just, like you said, the poor woman who's stuck at home, basically just doing all the chores at home. Uh, the woman in Proverbs 31 is not just sitting around doing a bunch of chores. In verse 16 and 24, here's a couple things she does in Proverbs 31. She considers a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. So a part of her taking care at home, a part of her keeping the home, uh, sometimes it can mean doing things like we just mentioned, considering a field and buying it, planting a vineyard, making something and selling it. Uh, well, I would say that a little differently. I don't okay. think that's a part of her keeper being a keeper at home or working at home. I think that's in addition to her working at home. Okay. Because I, I wouldn't say so. Some might misunderstand what you're saying and think, well, if if I'm a housewife and I don't have a job, are you saying I'm disobeying Titus two five? And that's not what you're saying. Correct. You're just saying. Uh, a woman can do that plus have a career. Yeah. And and yeah, well, I'm glad you caught me on that. Uh, yeah, if exactly if she right. can't do both, then the Bible contradicts itself. And I was sitting here while you were doing that, I was trying to think, can I think of an example? And I'm probably missing somebody, but can I think of an example of a woman who's who's uh in the old testament or the new testament who is, you know, just a housewife. And, you know, I think of the virtuous woman. I think of Lydia. I think of, uh, you know, Tabitha. Maybe Tabitha was a house housewife, but she seems to yeah. have been a woman who was very busy making clothing. Um, you know, Rachel or Leah? Uh, yeah, Maybe. now they probably, you know, spent their time. I'm sure they had chores Same. out amongst the uh, the fields and uh, taking yeah. care of the livestock and stuff too because it was just a busy time and I've heard it said I don't know if this you know I've read it a few times that the man I don't want to I don't want to disregard women who are doing this because I was raised by one and and I have a, a lot of respect for mothers who stay home but the the historical truth is that the housewife is like a 20th century development it's not something that you see a lot of in ancient times. It depends. And it's hard to it's hard to say, you know, when you're talking about a nomadic lifestyle, it's hard to say Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, they're living in tents. How much housekeeping was there to do? Uh, you know, when families were big and there was a lot of um, work to be done out in the fields, everybody got involved. The whole family was together all day long, but they might have been out in the fields working. Um Another thing that developed in the 20th century that kind of helped create the housewife is the idea that father gets up, goes to work, goes away from home to work in the city, stays gone all day long, turns around and comes back. So it's not that, you know, we just invented the housewife. We also invented the father who goes away to this place that the children and the mother can't go to and stays gone long periods of time and then comes back. Yeah. Life really changed in the Industrial Revolution. Before that, everything was farming and, 
you know, other trades that could involve families working together. So now that we're in this world where people go away from the home to work, what do we do? Is it wrong for mom to go and do that just like dad's been doing for the last hundred years or so? And the answer is, it's not wrong, but it doesn't change the fact that um, you know, women, mothers, are given the responsibility to work at home, to be yep. workers at home. Uh, and we've talked a lot about you know working outside the home, so we've got to spend a little time on their working at home and what that means. That doesn't mean that they're... So it doesn't mean they can't have a career. We've covered that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're the only ones who are supposed to work at home. Guys. Yeah. Children. <laughs> right. What, and, and I think we should tie this in with 1 Timothy 5 that we covered in our podcast on Timothy. But in 1 Timothy 5, Paul is talking about younger widows, and he says in verse 14 that he would have them marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. And we pointed out when we were talking about that chapter that the phrase manage their households literally translates out to be house despots, like rulers of the household. Yeah. And this isn't that this is different from the uh, authority and submission that's commanded like in uh, head of the household um, Ephesians 5 and Definitely. yeah other other parts of the Bible this just means whose responsibility is it to oversee the affairs of the household that responsibility is given to women they have a bit of authority there with the household and how things are to go so uh, they may divvy up the responsibilities and get the household chores and all the things that need to be done at home covered, uh, they don't have to do all of them themselves. They're responsible for them. That doesn't yeah. mean they do them all. So dads need to pitch in in whatever way that, that moms think they should do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I've said a lot of things that I may regret later, but this is how this is how I'm reading this and seeing this. And... Uh, Reconciling it with the other passages in the Bible. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I do appreciate you've drawn the distinction there between, you know, men and women have different roles, and none's more. And I think this is important to recognize: one's not more important than the other. Um, it's not as if, you know, by saying this in Titus two five, you know, women are to to be working in the home in verse four and five. Uh, that's not to say that a wife and a mother is basically like the secretary of the house or the personal assistant to mm-hmm. the husband. And I think maybe a lot of the negativity that is that has been, um, I guess, directed at passages like this in Titus 2 come from maybe situations like that that they have seen in the world where... Maybe someone has taken a scripture like this and twisted it around to where, okay, well, the wife, the mother, you know, you just stay at home and you get all the errands and the chores done at the house mm-hmm. and the men will handle the real stuff. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of an abuse and twisting of the scripture. But I think, you know, we all understand, and as you just pointed out so well through all those passages, that a wife is definitely, a wife and a mother is definitely not just a glorified secretary or personal assistant, uh, she is a partner, right? Yeah. The man and the wife are partners. So before we mash record, we kind of had mentioned this, 
And it's like, you know, mm-hmm. the in the law office, you have partners, you know, that are the partners of the office. And then in that same office, you have like secretaries for each partner and assistants for each partner that basically just get all the little chores and things done. And they're paid to just do like the grunt work um, mm-hmm. with the partners, you know, being in complete control and totally in charge and they get to boss them around. Mm-hmm. That's not the relationship between the husband and wife. The relationship between the husband and wife is the relationship that the partners share. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, making decisions together, doing things together. Yeah. Well, so let's look at it another way. If you're a, a wife and you and your husband sit down and talk about it and you decide, I can, I can work at home and work outside the home, then there is absolutely nothing in the world wrong with that. If you sit down and you cannot possibly figure out how to work at home and at the same time work away from home, then the priority is working at home. And that's why so many women have chosen to work at home. Yeah. Uh, because they realize how... See, okay, so our culture is telling us this is demeaning to women. And I can't... And again, this is I was raised by a mom who worked at home only. Mm-hmm. Uh, now she didn't, you know, substitute teaching and stuff like that. You know, she earned money outside the home in various ways at various times. But um, she saw, and I and I agree, and I think this is what the Bible teaches, that your work at home is really, really important. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's more important than making sure that your children are, you know, um, fed, clean, happy, given a space to play, given a time to learn at home, um, to make sure there's there's a place for your husband and children to come home to. Our culture has told us that it is a horrible thing for us to put that responsibility on women. Now, I've never heard anybody say it's a horrible thing to put that responsibility on men, um, I guess because yeah. they feel like men, you know, have gotten away with something for hundreds of years and it's time yeah. for them to I think that men should pitch in at home but I think they should do that as a part of the wife's plan for how we're going to have a happy comfortable suitable home for our children if you don't have children then for our marriage mm-hmm. and that that I can't, I can't think of anything more important than having your your family uh, for your family to have this this wonderful place to be at yeah. You know, and in that book, you've read his needs, high, his needs, her needs, right? Yeah. I almost said his needs, our needs, <laughs> his needs, her needs. Um, yeah. In that book, there's the the list of the five top needs for men and the five top needs for women. Yeah. And um, so, and it's not based on the Bible. It's just based on thousands of hours of counseling and notes that this counselor has taken. I think his name's Hartley. Is that right? William Hartley, something like that. And one of the needs of men, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, whether it's biblical or not, one of the top five needs that men list is it's Har- Harley. Yeah, Harley. It's Willard okay. Harley. Willard Harley. I was Junior. close. One of the top five needs of men is domestic support. They say they need that, meaning they need that as a part of their marriage. Now, the world can say that's wrong, 
the world can say men shouldn't be that way, but men are saying in the privacy of a counseling session, you know, I'm not happy because when I come home, there's no domestic support. And again, domestic support does not mean doing it all. It means support. Now, the Bible teaches that women are over the household. That's what the Bible teaches. So they can sit down and say, listen, I need you to help me with this. This is the way I read it. My wife has every right to sit, sit me down and say, look, I need you to help me. I need you to go get the groceries this week. I need you to pick up the kids over here. I need you to, to do this or that. I need some help with this. And yeah. we sit down as partners, like you said, and talk about it. All right. You got any more to say about that? We're I've said everything. Spent a lot of time on that. that yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to say less and more. It's too late for that. Yeah. All right. Uh, verse 15 is very interesting to me as a preacher because we're talk, talking a lot in this series about uh, preaching and what the job description of a preacher is. Um, you know, our last episode on 2 Timothy chapter 4 is often considered the job description of a preacher. Well, Titus is told in Titus 2.15 Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Some passages say, preach with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So he's saying to, um, to the preacher, uh, you have authority. And by the way, while there are passages like Hebrews thirteen seventeen that say, obey them that have the rule over you, that's talking about elders, and other passages that speak of elders as overseers, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, um, and others. This is the only passage that uses the word exousia, authority, for an, a, an officer of the church, for lack of a better term. And it's used not of the elder, but of the preacher. Yeah. So some have gotten really confused by this because of what I just said. You know, yeah, elders are called overseers. The... They rule over... Yeah. Uh, obey them, you know, we're told that. But it looks like maybe was Titus in an, a position of authority over the elders? Well, slow down. Okay, so um, <laughs> there is an extreme position, in, in my opinion, okay. that uh, teaches a doctrine called evangelistic authority. All right, so evangelistic authority imagines this hierarchy in a local church of preacher over the elders and deacons and members. Uh, that is not what the Bible teaches. Now we know that the Bible teaches that elders have authority in matters of discretion slash opinion. So elders are in local congregations not deciding what the Word of God you know, is going to lead them to do. That's already been decided. Elders are there to decide how general commands of the Bible are to be carried out. You know, how are we going to meet? Where are we going to meet? How are we going to finance where we meet? Um, how are we going to carry out the work in this community? How are we going to, you know, assign work to these dozen deacons or whatever? There's a thousand decisions to be made in matters of discretion. In other words, where God hasn't um, outlined it for us. There, there are all kinds of decisions to be made. That's not the authority that's given to Titus here. The authority that's given to Titus is the authority that he has by virtue of the Word of God, and only by virtue of the Word of God. When he's preaching the Word of God, there's no higher authority than that. So it's not really uh, inherent in Titus. It's the authority of the Word as it comes out of his mouth. And so when he declares these things, 
No one can come to him and say, hey, wait a minute. You kind of said this a minute ago. You, you speak in such a way so that people can't come up to you and say, I disagree with that. You, can, you know that you're doing this right when you're able to say, you disagree. You don't disagree with me. You disagree with God because I'm just telling you what God's Word says. Mm-hmm. So Titus is not to... It's kind of like telling Timothy, don't let anybody disregard you for your youth. Look down on your youthfulness. He's telling Titus, who was also a young man, you preach this, you exhort this, you rebuke those who disagree with this with all authority. This is the Word of God. Uh, don't let anybody make you feel ashamed for preaching this. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that spells it out pretty nicely. So the authority lies not within the not within Titus. The authority lies within the words that he's teaching. Yeah. So maybe that authority goes away if he's not doing what we just read in verse one anymore, which is teaching what accords with sound doctrine. Right, and get, you can lose it as soon as you stop doing that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, all the attitudes that we're talking about should be there: the self-control, the integrity, dignity, sound speech. That cannot be condemned. Mm-hmm. But um, preachers need to, st- and and you have to study the word a long time to be able to do this. Is you better know exactly what it says if you're going to. To do it with authority. Yeah, if you're going to say you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God, you better be pretty sure that yeah. that you are interpreting the Word of God correctly. Right. I mean, like this. It is. Like in verse 5, this working at home thing. Okay. I, I've been studying that for years. Mm-hmm. I have listened to a lot of others teach this uh, in graduate school. We worked through that. And so I'm. That's not. I'm not just sharing things that I came up with this afternoon. Yeah. I mean, this is stuff that I've discussed with people, I've thought about, you know, and and I long for the day when every word of the Bible I've been able to analyze like that. That'll never come. Yeah. But that's why we're to study so that we can have that kind of authority. We have no authority unless it's been given to us by the Word of God, because Christ is the head of the church, so His Word is our authority. All right, we're we're almost out of time here, so uh, let's uh, take a take another break here. We'll come right back. Okay, so we have just a few minutes left to apply some of the things from Titus 2, and there's so much here, but we just picked out four. Um, The first thing is that we should respect our elders. So the older people, both men and women, are given specific instructions, and you can see that older men are called to be dignified. Older women are also called to train the younger women, and this isn't spelled out here, but the older men obviously... Uh, you know, I think there's maybe, I don't think it's too much speculation at all to say that older men should also be training younger men um, in the things that they should be doing. He tells Titus here um, to be teaching the younger men to be self-controlled, so he's teaching his peers. So I would imagine that it would stand to reason that older, uh, the older men should be teaching the younger men as well. And in order for that to work, the younger men and the younger women 
have to give their elders a certain level of respect, right? Yes. Yeah. They have to be willing to to actually consider maybe the outlandish idea that maybe these folks that are so much older than you aren't as um, out of touch as you maybe thought they were originally. Yeah, I you know? think more would be specified along that line if things were then as they are now. I think there was a you know an embedded sentiment among uh, Paul's original readers that older people are to be respected and that I think we have more challenges to authority today than maybe they had back then especially with regard to older people uh, you know we don't live in these big extended families anymore like they did yeah um, and so I think that you know we should emphasize this point more today as a way of correcting some of the ideas that that come into our minds through culture that you know older people aren't to be you know listened to um, we we need to respect them because they've got experience that you can't get in a book you can't buy it at a store I mean you just get it the hard way by yeah. by living a long time and gaining that kind of wisdom that you can't gain in a short period of time yeah I do think it maybe needs to be said also that maybe just because a person is older does not you know maybe doesn't make them sober-minded dignified self-controlled sound in faith and love and steadfastness you know just because someone is advanced in age does not mean that they contain all those qualities so there is a you know there's definitely a call just like Paul just like Paul says to Titus to you know for Titus to remind the older men to stay this way for the older women to likewise to be reverent in behavior uh, but then also there's responsibility I guess if we're talking about younger people respecting the others there's responsibility on both sides um, to the to the older people to demonstrate those qualities and then for the younger people maybe to even give them the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. um, in any and every scenario based on their their level of experience that they've been able to have right all right well so what do we got next the next one is to teach and model mm-hmm. um we're not talking about taking pictures here <laughs> we're talking about living out what you teach and we have i think it's pretty obvious and self-evident the importance of for a minister uh, but not only a minister but for everybody uh if you're going to so a minister, if he's going to stand up in the pulpit on a Sunday morning and say, hey, you don't need to drink. Drinking is bad. Then on the weekends, he's getting drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe that teaching is not going to carry as much weight. You know, make somebody look insincere about what they're teaching. Uh, you've got to model what you teach. And, he, you know, he gives you some examples here. Uh, you know, be a model of good works which is really a good catch-all for everything, but in your teaching to show integrity and dignity as well. So there's two sides of that coin. Right. Yeah. Anything okay. to add to that or are we moving on? Uh, we better move on. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. out of time. Third thing is grace produces good works. Oh, this is yours. You should be doing this one. Well, you had a really good quote. I'll let you give your good quote. Uh, what, what, I, what I said was that uh, 
good works do not produce grace. Grace produces good works. Yeah, from, that's, that's very tweetable. <laughs> yeah, from verses 11 and 12. Uh, so the idea is uh, you don't earn your way to heaven. Uh, you're not saved because of any works of merit that you have done. But the grace of God that brings salvation to all people does change you so that you do good works. Right. It's all about the motive behind good works. If your yeah. motive is, I'm better than other people, or I'm earning my way to heaven, or I'm doing works that will qualify me for heaven, then you're going to become self-righteous, overly critical of others, and competitive and jealous. But if you're doing good things because Christ did good things for you, uh, as is described in verses 11 and 12, it's going to train you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and it's going to train you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, and it's going to train you to have hope waiting for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and make you zealous for good works. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's that's the lesson, and to me it's one of the most meaningful, transformative lessons of the New Testament. Yeah, and I really like the way you've worded that. Good works don't produce grace. Grace produces good works. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's a good way to sum it up. Okay, the last one we have is, you know, uh, it kind of falls under that category. Uh, it's renouncing ungodliness. And, you know, I think this is something that maybe we have a hard time taking as seriously as we should. And I don't want to sound like the... Um, the old fuddy dud on a soapbox talking about movies and music and blah 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 blah. <laughs> but renouncing ungodliness is a lot I, I guess it's a lot weightier than the way we treat unrighteousness now. Mm-hmm. Uh, renouncing ungodliness is washing your hands completely of it, staying as far away from it as you can. It reminds me of passages like the one in James chapter four where he says to flee from or resist the devil and he will flee from you, James chapter 4 and verse 7. Uh, there's a big difference between resisting the devil and maybe like uh, running from the devil or trying to avoid him. There's a big difference in renouncing all these things and just trying to, you know, to stay out of their way. There's a big difference in opposing something and hiding from something, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. Mm-hmm. And with all kinds of unrighteousness and ungodliness, and everybody knows what that is in their own heads, we don't have to sit here and talk about, is it okay for me to watch a PG movie or a PG-13 or listen to this music? Blah, blah, blah. We don't have to discuss that, and you're not going to get a hard and fast rule on that. But everybody knows. I mean, it's common sense. You know what's ungodliness, and you know what's not. You know what things you need to renounce and say, I don't want to have any part of that. And you know what things um, are godly, what things are good, what things are excellent, like are meant, like that's mentioned at the end of Philippians. If I got that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that big list of whatever's good, excellent, noble, honorable. Um, so all that in closing, just to say we need to be firm in our mm-hmm. lives in truly renouncing and resisting everything that even has the appearance of, of ungodliness instead of seeing how much we can get away with. Yeah. See how close to the line you can get or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Renounce is a strong, strong word. 
we're going to come into a strong finish next week. Nice. Uh, <laughs> nice segue. A little segue there. into our concluding yeah. thoughts. Titus chapter 3 will close up this uh, three-book series that has had a lot to do with church leadership, preachers, elders, deacons. Um, we've Lots talked of... about a lot of other demographics of a congregation, widows, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, slaves, wives. Uh, you know, there's been every every little group talked about. Yeah. Um, Lots of good uh, application yeah. in these letters. Yeah, and uh, you can continue the discussion if you'd like, sending us some feedback. Leave us a rating and a nice review on iTunes, and that would be greatly appreciated. It helps us uh, get noticed by more people, so I'm told. And uh, so, basically, we just appreciate you listening. Uh, Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or the Internet, this new fancy thing. The Interweb. The Interweb www.the66.net yep. 66 is a number and so uh, you're not just a number you're a special person to us <laughs> nice and, uh, <laughs> are we an insurance company now this is me still trying to feel my way Figure to the end way, to sign off. hey uh, this, since we're getting close to the end what book are we doing next you got any idea uh, that, that <laughs> announced stay tuned for that announcement next time 